we are in the midst of a study on Luke. Actually, Luke Acts. Luke Acts. Because um, that's, as I said a couple weeks ago, it is a combination of Luke telling his friend Theophilus about what Jesus did when he was here and what Jesus did after he was ascended. And so, and last week, were you guys here for Jeremy's sermon last week? God, it was amazing. He did an absolutely great job. And one of the things that he stressed last week was that Luke is very intentional in his text. And at the beginning, the first four chapters, he shows, because his, his letter to Theophilus is saying, the gospel, Jesus came, not just for the Jews, but for all people, for the Gentiles as well, and it almost got him thrown off a cliff. And so the first four chapters, Luke is showing, hey, it's just, it's just not about the Jews. And Jeremy very clearly showed that. And his programmatic statement in, in chapter four, Luke has Jesus standing up in a synagogue reading Isaiah and he reads it and he says oh by the way this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing today what so he's making a statement of a messianic statement that he's the one and he mentions the son of man and the son of man is Jesus' identification of himself. And so this week in our reading in Luke, which is chapters 5 through 8, Luke does something else. He does something different. Okay, Before it was like you had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. And the Jews were pretty convinced God was for them. He, they forgot the whole statement that Abraham was told that You'd be supposed to be a blessing for all. But Jesus is that. But the Gentiles, oh, they were bad. They were evil. They were dirty. They were bleh. And so now Luke in chapter 5 through 8 does something else. Because most people in the time of Jesus, when they said, okay, who are the, who are the good guys? Who are the ones that we need to look to to try to be like? And the answer would be the Pharisees. These guys kept the Sabbath. These guys kept themselves from being defiled. These were the ones that showed up at church on Saturday. Not on Sunday, Sabbath, right? These were the ones that were in the synagogue. These were guys that knew the word of God. These were the guys that were waiting for Messiah. But Luke throws a wrench in his readings. And he, in, verses, in chapters 5 through 8... He shows that Jesus says, it's not the Pharisees who you need to be, who you need to try to be. And he, he makes that differentiation. So I'd like to divide chapter 6 to you today. And I, I've entitled it, The Days and the Nights of, in the Life of Jesus. It's, Luke is taking a snapshot of Jesus' ministry here, and he is telling Showing Theophilus that this is what Jesus' ministry looked like. And he takes little snippets. Okay? So, I'm going to divide chapter 6. Okay. In your reading in the book, chapter 6 is part of October 14th 
and all of October 15th. So if you have a book, you can go to there. That's how you can... We have no page numbers. But October 15th was my birthday, so I figured, hey, that's God telling me I need to preach on that. Or I got it wrong. But anyway, we're going to do it anyway. So we're going to start on chapter 6. And we'll divide it in half. So we'll go to the first 17 verses. We'll stop. We'll talk a little bit about what Luke is trying to do here, trying to talk about pointing Jesus. And then we'll do... Uh, or 1 through 16. And then we'll do 17 through 49. And then we'll, we'll do little snippets and we'll go boom, boom, boom. And then we'll be done for the day. Doesn't that sound good? All right. Here we go. So, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into a synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he, had, if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay, so we've got the first 16 verses here. And Luke is laying down some groundwork of what's to be expected for the rest of Luke-Acts. A disciple of Jesus is going to face enemies. They're going to face people that are opposed to them. And it may not be who people originally think are going to be enemies. People that don't know God? No. It's the people who think they know God who become the most dangerous for not only Jesus, ultimately he's killed by them, which was all God's plan, but even his disciples after Jesus has ascended, the most dangerous people are the Jews. So, Let's look at something. Jesus begins his groundwork with what is expected of his disciples, contrary to what the Pharisees did. 
And the first one is the Sabbath. Now, remember, just a, a few weeks ago, we were in Nehemiah. And remember, one of the big things about Nehemiah, when the Israelites come back from captivity, is that Nehemiah throws down the gauntlet, we have got to keep the Sabbath. They left the gates open after he was gone. He came back. What are you guys doing on the Sabbath? Leave the gates open. No, when the Sabbath comes, the night before the Sabbath, you close the gates. There's to be no business done. This carries over. And the Pharisees are all about keeping the Sabbath. In fact, they want so much to keep the Sabbath that they build a fence around the Ten Commandments, specifically the Sabbath. So... They keep building more fences around it so that you don't even get close to disobeying the Sabbath. And um, there were other books other than the Word of God. One is called the Mishnah. And basically what the Mishnah is, you know about this because you're, you're studying it, right? The Mishnah was a group of rabbis giving um, commentary on the Word of God. And issuing more laws so that the Sabbath would not be disobeyed. And one of the things that Jesus fights against here. Remember, he's, they're walking through the field. And they're picking grain in the field just as they're walking along. According to the Mishnah, that's okay. But as soon as you rub your hands together, you're threshing. Oh! You're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, hold on. Let me give you a key principle about the Sabbath. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the Sabbath is for man, not man for man. Now, the mission had many rules other than what was in the Ten Commandments. For example, at this time, many rabbis filled Judaism with elaborate rituals related to the Sabbath. And observance of other laws. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, one was forbidden to tie a knot. Except a woman could tie a knot in her girdle. That was what the Mishnah said. So, if a bucket of water had to be raised from a well, one couldn't tie a knot to bring up the bucket. However, <laughs> A woman could tie her girdle to the bucket and then to the rope and pull it up. This is in the mission. I'm serious. Oh, oh. Does that seem weird to you? Does that seem... What? And so what Jesus is saying is saying, no, the Sabbath was supposed to be rest for man. It was supposed to be signifying time Pause, reflect. Sabbath was supposed to be, I'm going to rest for God because he is in charge of everything else. I don't have to work that extra seventh day to get that get ahead to do it. I just need to rely on the Lord. But then with all of these walls around the Sabbath, it just got ridiculous. And Jesus cut them to the quick. In fact, in Mark... Chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you have let go of the commands of God 
and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Now, many of the Pharisees considered the Mishnah to still be the word of God. And it wasn't. The word of God was the word of God. There's a story. I mean, it still goes on today. There's a story in 1992. Tenants in Israel let three apartments in an Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burn to the ground while they asked the rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath would violate Jewish law. It turns out the observant Jews are forbidden to use the phone on the Sabbath because doing so would break electrical current, which is considered a form of work. In the half hour it took the rabbi to decide, yes, it's forbidden, the fire spread to two neighboring apartments. This is exactly what many people steeped in tradition simply cannot accept. They don't believe that what God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. They don't believe that love to others is more important than religious rituals. They don't believe that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51:17 says, "These, O God, you will not despise." So, Jesus is showing two principles here in the text that we read. One, any application of the Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. This is the first principle. The second principle, Jesus says, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This second principle was even more dramatic because what Jesus is saying is here is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath was not offended by his disciples' actions. He is making a direct claim to deity. And because he's deity and he's Lord of the Sabbath, he can decide what breaks the Sabbath and what doesn't. And that's why they were so upset. And then we get to the part where Jesus goes to the synagogue. And there is a man with a shriveled hand. And because Jesus made a habit of going to synagogues on Sunday, on Saturday and showing up on the Sabbath. They, they know this guy has a shriveled hand. And they know that Jesus will probably heal him because he's been healing everybody. He's been going around healing everybody. So instead of celebrating that a man with a shriveled hand gets restored, they're looking for ways to accuse him. The Pharisees completely missed that someone's health, someone's prosperity was more important to God than obeying God. A particular law. 
that wasn't the word of God. It was a Mishnah law. So they're all watching him. And I love the way Jesus does it. He doesn't touch the guy. He just tells him, stretch out your hand. And he does it. Oh, hey. Never touched him. Just that. And then what is the Pharisee's response? We've got to kill Jesus. Oh, my gosh. What did he do? Oh, he restored a man's hand. (laughs) Doesn't that sound crazy to you? They were so caught up in their rituals. They were so caught up in, oh, we just got to do this. They have forgotten mercy. They forgot that God desires for man to have grace, to have peace. And then we get to where Jesus picks his disciples. And he doesn't just randomly, hey, you, 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 you. No. He stays all night in a solitary place up in a mountain to pray. Can I tell you, this is one of the most convicting scriptures for me. I don't think I've ever stayed up all night in prayer for anything. For the Astros. No, but things that were really important, I mean... But Jesus is figuring out who he's going to choose to be the 12, to be not only just disciples, because there were other disciples, but to be the 12 that were going to be set apart later after Jesus ascends. And he picks, through prayer with God, Judas Iscariot. I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. But he picked him anyway. You know, they asked a theologian once, why do you think Jesus picked Judas Iscariot even though they were going to betray him? The theologian said, I don't know. In fact, I'm wondering, why did Jesus pick me? Because of all the disciples of the original 12 that kind of remind me of me. Maybe think it's Peter because Peter kind of puts his foot in his mouth all the time and stumbles around, makes mistakes. That's probably a good one But Judas. That's me. The healing of the man is the culmination of these two principles. And the... The two principles, Sam, could be summed up this way. There is never a wrong day to do something truly good. And then with the night of prayer, he comes up with the 12. And so if you're scoring at home, sometimes the list of the disciples, we kind of go, wait. Well, who's this? Where's this? Because some of them have different names. Remember Jeremy said there's two Jeremy's? In the the list of the the apostles, 
There's two Simons, there's two James, and there's two Judases. Can people not come up with different names? What's wrong with you people? Half the disciples have the same name. And so, through time, names were adjusted and changed. Simon became Peter because Jesus gave it to him. I should probably hang on to that one. But here we go. So you have, and, and they're put in groups of two, which is interesting. Why are they in groups of two? Because you see Simon and Andrew, James and John, and they have and, and, and in that whole section. Well, when we get to chapter 9 in our reading this week, you're going to hear that Jesus sends them out by two. This could very well be the groups where they went off to. Okay? And what did they do when they went off by themselves? They were preaching the same thing that Jesus was preaching. And he preached that over and over and over again. Why do we know that? Because very soon we're going to read about the Sermon on the Plain. Everybody knows about the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And it's probably two different locales. Now remember, Jesus is an itinerant preacher. He says his message... He proclaims the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. It's the same message. And so there's a lot of similarities. But there's some differences too. Okay, but let's look back at at the disciples. There's Simon, also known as Peter. Then there's his, his brother Andrew. There's James, son of Zebedee. And John, his brother, also son of Zebedee. Then there's Philip, Bartholomew. In this section. Now Bartholomew has another name. You might see him in other places in John. He's known as Nathaniel. Okay? And then there's Matthew. But if you go if you go to the book of Matthew, he's known as Levi. That's his Jewish name. Then there's Thomas. Thomas is always called Thomas. Do you know what Thomas means? Twin. Isn't that interesting? Which caused me to think if Thomas is named twin what's the twin named are they both Thomases because they're both twins okay just me thinking that alright and then there's James son of Alphaeus in in later time you know, when the, the, the church early church fathers wrote about James they called him the lesser James then there's Simon, the other Simon. He's known as Simon the Zealot. He's the one, if you were a zealot during this time, you wanted the Romans kicked out. And you did whatever you could to kick them out. And then there was Judas, son of James. He's also known in other places as Thaddeus. Okay? And then there's Judas Iscariot. And Iscariot isn't really his last name. That really means Judas from Kerioth. Which is interesting because Kerioth is down in the southern part. That would mean of all the 12 disciples, Judas is the only one from Judea. The rest are from Samaria or uh, uh, up in Galilee. So you have all these different people. You have business partners working together. Peter and Andrew worked with James and John. Then you have Simon the Zealot, who was all about kicking the Romans out. Then you have Levi or Matthew, who worked for the government 
of the Roman government, getting taxes from the... Man, this is an eclectic group. And he brings them together. And now we get to verse 17, and I'll read 17 through 49, because I want you to know that you've read a whole chapter in Scripture today. Okay? He went down with them and stood at a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and there was a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Verse 20, looking at the disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. See, Son of Man again. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, if you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew, a lot of this is similar. But in Matthew, his sum-up statement from all of his things is, do to others as you would have them do to you. But that's not the sum, summation statement in Luke. In Luke, his summation statement is, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Because in Luke, Luke is trying to show that the Pharisees could be jerks to people because they felt they were better than them. And if someone was mean to them, they'd be mean right back. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you need to be different. In fact, you need to be otherworldly. Continuing on, verse 37, says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured with you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor... Does a bad tree bear good fruit? Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep, dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So, Jesus does the blessings and the woes. Okay. Here's my summation of the blessings and woes, what Jesus says. And this is from me. No commentary, no other learned scholar has come up with this. This is mine. Here's what Jesus says. Don't be a victim. Stop. You know what? If you're poor, that, that's a great thing. You know why? Because you have, to, you have to rely on the Lord. And that's a great thing. Don't be a victim. Don't look for reasons why things aren't happening for you that they, you think they should happen. Listen, in our day and age, everybody wants to be a victim. They do. If I'm a victim, then I can treat you bad. If I'm a victim, I can stand for justice. The truth be known, God has you right where he wants you. Where he can use you. To build up the kingdom of heaven. Where he can use you to be a source of grace and mercy that is not like the world. Then he talks about having love for enemies. What he is saying here is that's what love really looks like. It's easy to love somebody who loves you. I love you. Oh, I love you. I hate you. You know what? I love you anyway. Why? Because Jesus said the reason why is you need to be more like God than be like man. 
It says that God is kind and merciful to the ungrateful. Wait, what? The Pharisees had this idea. If someone was poor, if someone was destitute, it's because God was striking them. They must be doing bad. When we get to the beginning next year, when we start doing in Job, that was the whole problem with his friends, Job's friends. They said, well, all the stuff, bad stuff's happened to you. It's because you must have sinned. This is the same idea which, which the Pharisees are doing. They, if you were poor, if you were sad, it's because God's striking you down because you're a sinner. No. And Jesus says, that's not true. You may be going through some hard times right now, but it's not forever. If you depend on God and God is your Lord and Savior, and you look to him, guess what? It's going to come a time when things are going to be great. You're crying now. You'll be laughing later. He's, he's bringing that to the point. Okay, If you think about all of our physical time right now here on the earth, Compared to eternity, it's insignificant. Listen, we all go through hard times. But you know what? We know how this story ends. And then the last two parts of this, about the fruits and about the builders, these are tests of genuineness. A tree and its fruit is known by the tree is known by its fruit, not by its words. You can say a lot of things, but people are going to know you by how you act rather than what you say. The wise and foolish builders, those that built on the sand and those that built on the rock, those that do what Jesus says are considered to be the wise ones. It's very important to note when Jesus is up on the plane and he's teaching, it says that Jesus looked at his disciples. When he was teaching, his focus was on those that said, I will follow you. Now, there were others around and they were listening. But the disciples were the ones that he had expectations of. Let me give you two verses. Of how this plays out. James chapter 1. Verses 22 and 25. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word. But does not do what it says. Is like someone who looks at his mirror. In his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself. Goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law. That gives freedom. And continues in it not forgetting what they had heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's another verse. In Matthew chapter 25, this is Jesus speaking again, and he's teaching. Okay, And he's talking about the end of time. When everyone is gathered together, and the Son of Man has been given all authority over heaven and earth, he starts making some distinctions on who does and didn't. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels, is Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now he goes on and talks about the goats, what they didn't do, but you get the gist. Guys, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are expectations of us. Expectations to be like our teacher, like our Lord. Listen, many of you have heard this whole thing. I want to ask Jesus as Lord of my life. Uh, He is my Savior. What that means is he's not the get-out-of-jail-free card. Or get out of get out of hell free card. What it is is, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the boss of my life. I will do what you want me to do. And that's the rub in the Christian faith. If you call Jesus Lord, Lord, but you don't do what he says, he's not true Lord. And so, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, people that I love so much, my precious peeps, go and sin no more. I want you to live your life in such a way that when your life is over, the king of the universe, who's been given all authority, Jesus Christ will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You can't do it on your own. You cannot. You have to have dependence on God to change you, to shape you. You need a body of believers around you who will encourage you, who will exhort you, who will help you along the way. And that's what Heights is all about, to love God to love God's people and to love serving God. Won't you stand? What time did I do? Dude, I went 10 minutes long. Yeah, baby. Well, thank you all for sticking around. <laughs> Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we have a piece of your word that teaches us how we should be 
how we need to be different from the world, how we need to be different than those that call themselves religious. Father God, I don't want to be religious. I just want to be your disciple. So help me and help this congregation be known as the people of Jesus. Help us to do that this week as we live our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.